This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Alex Hoyer. Obviously, they are held to the same ethics. What I think a lot of people fail to realize is that school board members don't get paid. The pandemic left many parents looking to assert control over their kids' schools. Whether their children wear masks, control over um, whether all children wear masks. If you've been following the news for the past three years, hearing school board might raise the image of controversy or even chaos. A packed room of furious parents, school board members debating COVID precautions or banning books or teaching sex education or installing gender-neutral bathrooms. But school boards are, at least in theory, supposed to be much more than just a platform for controversy. These elected bodies are critical to a school's functioning, but for the public, it can be hard to figure out what a functional school board is supposed to look like. So to talk about school boards, what they are, how they work, and what happens when they don't, we welcome to the studio Janet Tilly. She is the Senior Director of Research for the Missouri School Boards Association. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So give us the basics. What are the basic responsibilities a school board has? Well, obviously, uh, the school board is supposed to be, uh, we talk about it in terms of fiduciary responsibilities, that they um, have a duty of loyalty, care, and trust for their students and for their community members. Um, We do know from research uh, that there are 10 basic principles that effective boards do, and that when they follow those particular principles, there is a positive correlation to increase student uh, performance, student success. And so in our work at the Missouri School Boards Association, we center um, our work, our training, our support for school boards around those 10 principles. Uh, you, you talked about uh, school success. To what extent are school boards responsible for academic achievement? Well, one of the very first things that um, we always share with our school board members in their training, and, and I think I'm, I'm just going to do an aside really quickly, is that I think most people don't know that when someone is elected to the school board, that by mandate, by mandate and state law, they have to go through 18 and a half hours of training. I did not within, know that. <laughs> yeah, it, that has to happen within their first year of service. We encourage board our new board members to get that done within the first six months, um, just because there's so much to learn and so much to do. But within that particular training, we are mandated, again by law, to make sure that we train our school board members as to how they need to be monitoring what's going on in a school district as far as the academics are concerned, school law, ethics, personnel, sunshine law. You know, there's a plethora of, uh, of many different aspects that they have to go through as far as their training is concerned. Do you think most people who are elected to a school board are prepared to serve on the school board? I don't know that you can be 100% prepared. It's like becoming a parent. You know, um, <laughs> I just remember reading the books and thinking, oh, I can do this. And then the kid showed up and you're going, oh, my gosh, you know, what do I do with this eight pounds, you know, crying baby? Um, I don't think that you can 100% 
but I do know that there are school districts, and there are several within the St. Louis area, and I know Kansas City Public does this, is that they will hold kind of some trainings or some information session for candidates to let them know just kind of what they're getting into and what the core responsibilities are. And, and then shouldn't, we, shouldn't yeah. that be something that, that people know in advance before they run for a school board, oh, though? absolutely, 100%. And um, we do have on our website, we have resources for school board candidates, um, all kinds of different documents and supporting material. And we're, you know, we answer questions. We try to help people the best that we can. Mm -hmm. So yes, they do need to be prepared because it's much more than just you know, running and saying, gee, I want to get, uh, I'm going to use a story here of a, of a school board member that I know who, when he first ran, it was about a kind of a single issue of he wanted a, a swimming pool in his daughter's high school. Mm. Um, he did get elected, and but he soon learned that there was so much more than just that one issue. Um and so, yes, you do need to be prepared, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, did he, was he successful <laughs> in getting the school to get a swimming pool? No, actually. And, and, and it sort of became a running joke even amongst the board members because even he realized, he stepped back and he goes, oh, my gosh, you know, I was really kind of not bright about this mm -hmm. um, and that this is about so much more and that our core responsibility is about the academic achievement of our students. You, um, you also mentioned fiduciary responsibility. Yes. What, what does that look like in practice? Well, um, and again, you know, we go in and we do some professional development and training for our boards um, and our superintendents, and we talk about the fiduciary of trust. And the fiduciary of trust means that um, I'm ethical, that what I say I'm going to do, I, I do that I follow my board ethics policy. Um, the fiduciary of care means, in fact, that I put the needs of the students and the school district above my own. Um, and, you know, the other fiduciary responsibilities obviously are financial in making sure that, um, you know, they're monitoring the budget, monitoring the expenditures and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh in, when when things go wrong, because unfortunately things uh, will go wrong, mm -hmm. uh, to, to what extent are individual school board members responsible? Uh, if if there is gross incompetence uh, that that should have been seen in some kind of oversight role, um, if it's gross incompetence, you mean of a of a school district right, employee right. or what's going on? Go yeah, like let's say the superintendent mm -hmm. is embezzling money, and there were yep. clear warning signs uh, that uh, that a school board should have seen. What what kind of responsibility, uh, legal responsibility, do school board members have? Well, I'm you know I am not an attorney, and I try not to practice law without <laughs> a license. However, <laughs> um, you know school boards and and school districts are audited. Um, and they are required to be audited. Uh, and the school board members have a responsibility for reviewing that particular audit um, and, you know, and looking and examining the findings. Still, you know, we know that there have been school boards and school districts within our state where exactly what you just described has happened. 
But a lot of the problem is, and I'm going to go back to my, you know, I'm a researcher, so I go back to my 10 research-based principles of effective governance. If, in fact, they had been implementing these school boards, implementing these practices, they would have uncovered those issues earlier. Mm. Uh, so we want to hear from you, parents and invested community members. Do you like your school board? Do you wish it would be better, perhaps? Uh, what do you wish you better understood about how school boards work? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. Or you can engage with us on Twitter at STL on Air. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the role of parents in the functioning of a school board. Uh, according to surveys conducted by A Red Circle, that's a nonprofit dedicated mm -hmm. to addressing racial disparities in North St. Louis County, parents Correct. often uh, lack information about their district school boards. This week, Education Advocacy Director Tamar Brown told our producer, Emily Woodbury, that she encourages parents to recognize their power by getting engaged in school board elections and forming relationships with school board members. The relationship is key, and I think that with COVID and with some equitable situations we're having in education, those relationships are, are a bit strained. So we need our parents to get back involved, whether it's virtually or in person, to have conversations and really meet with our school board members so they can know, they can know faces, they can know names, and they can know that we care for our children and we want the best for them. And we expect for those board members to do their best for our children. So I think communities taking back their power, realizing that they have elected these individuals into this space, and then we have to, we have to keep our eye, on, eye on, um, on what's going on, our finger on the pulse to ensure that our families, our, our most prized possessions are getting everything that they deserve. And Tamar Brown also said that she recognizes that there's a historical context that has led some parents to disengage with their school district's leaders. There have been situations with families where they have participated in a school district before and may have had um, an unfavorable experience. And so they carry that same unfavorable experience and they almost pass it down to the next generation. Or they've had a run-in with someone at the school and so they have a bad taste in their, in their mouth, so to speak. But what's important for all of us to understand is that our, our school board has such an impact on our community and our schools directly that the relationship is almost it's, not, it's impossible not to have a good relationship with them if we want a thriving community in a thriving school district. So the value in that relationship is something like it's necessary. You have to have a relationship with your school district to understand their perspective and, most importantly, for them to understand parents and community perspective. Again, that was Tamar Brown, Education Advocacy Director at the nonprofit A Red Circle. Janet, uh, what's your reaction to Tamar's points there? Um, she's 100% accurate on on all of that. Um, absolutely, you know, obviously, you know, we had the pandemic and that created all kinds of difficulties for uh, for school districts and for parents and for the, for the community. But um, absolutely, uh, you know, we 
often, and we are trying to help support our boards in how to effectively engage with their community members. And it's uh, about two-way communication, not just one way, not just pushing out, here's what we're doing and those things, but really authentically engaging. Um, and so that might be in the form of certain advisory committees. It could be in the form of, you know, I, surveys are okay, but it really needs to be more grassroots than that. And, and um, these advisory boards are, are just ones that community members uh, serve on at the pleasure of, of the school board. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but they have a, a million other committees, you know, so there's a finance committee. There are, you know, um, and and especially with your strategic planning committees, parents, absolutely, their voice needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. The when, one thing. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to ask when. When should parents go to school board members, or should should they start with uh, <clears throat> with a principal or or perhaps a teacher? It depends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you know, as a parent, I have an issue with my child, it needs to go first to the classroom teacher. Um, we always encourage our um, our community members when you have a difficulty like that, is that you want the situation solved or remediated as quickly as possible. So you have to go to the person who can best do that and do it the fastest. And that's usually the classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. If uh, the response from the classroom teacher is not um, what the parent needs, then it goes to the principal. And from the principal, you know, on up from there. It does not become a school board issue. And this is, again, by board policy, it doesn't rise to the level of the school board until it's gone through kind of all of those particular channels. Mm. And that's done for lots of reasons, because if in fact, um, you know, a school board member gets involved in a particular situation, individual one, and it then would, would result in a hearing, then that school board member has to, you know, excuse him or herself from there. The other thing is that I always use the analogy of the gateway arch, that at the top of the arch, when you look out from that window and that perspective, that's the board's view. They have to stay at that 30,000 foot view because, you know, from the top of the arch, you can see out to Forest Park. You can see, you know, the stadium. You can see, you know, the downtown area. They've got to have that wider lens. Mm. Um, And the administrative piece kind of the how of how to do things belongs to usually the uh, superintendent and his or her, you know, cabinet members, district officers, different um, administrators, and that the tactical piece is the boots on the ground, and that leadership belongs to our teachers. Right. So that that 30,000 foot view uh, with with the school board or in the case of the arch, 630 feet. Well, there uh, you go. I I didn't know the exact, you know. Uh, The (laughs) arch is uh, fun. Fun fact. The arch is 630 feet uh, high and 630 feet wide. It is the same distance as it is tall as it is wide. See, um, you learn something every day. See, this, this is just is more about school boards and ed- education <laughs> hey, in go. general. Um, Absolutely. So we have a caller. Uh, John from Ferguson is calling us. John, uh, hello, you're on the air. Uh, yes. I was on the Ferguson Florissant School Board for five years. And I also served on the school board for uh, a Catholic school, Blessed Teresa Calcutta. What I think a lot of people fail to realize is that school board members 
don't get paid, mm-hmm. and they put in 15 to 20 hours per week to do it right. Mm-hmm. So and really about always, community service. What, uh, John, what uh, motivated you to, uh, to serve and, and be elected for the school board? Um, I was involved with the labor movement. We needed someone to represent the labor movement on the board. Mm-hmm. We figured that there, from looking at the board, we, we saw like an overwhelming representation from retired teachers, and so we wanted to have someone mm-hmm. from labor there. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are you proud of what you're able to do there? I was, yes. I mean, sometimes I think I could have done more. But mm-hmm. I had to make a living otherwise. Right. Uh, John, thank you so much uh, for calling. I really appreciate it. Uh, Janet, uh, John was describing this kind of push-pull between wanting to do good things and doing good things, but he said it's unpaid. Uh, how, how, do you, how do people who serve on a school board find that, that balance between uh, spending 15 up, upwards hours a, a week on a school board and also being able to make a living? Well, I think... <clears throat> Pardon me. I think John is uh, kind of generous in talking about the number of hours mm. because, in truth, um, it can be upwards of towards 30 hours a week um, if, if you're really going to be, as he said, to do it well and be prepared. Um, because it's not just going to a meeting every month. You have to read numerous documents. You have oftentimes work sessions, you know, other meetings, et cetera. So yes, no, he's right. In Missouri, our school board members are not paid. In other states, some of them are. Um, and it is completely voluntary. And, and so we're grateful for these individuals who will put themselves out there to do it. But like you talked about at the very beginning, you know, what is it that people need to know before they throw their name in the hat? And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. The other is that I, I think he probably is more successful than maybe what he gave himself credit for. You know, um, change, especially the kind of change that we need, uh, will take uh, time to get there. It doesn't happen in three years of service. Um, it's going to be, we have to take it from the long view. Um, so I don't know John, I've not met him, but um, my feeling is that first of all, I, I wanna tell him thank you Um, Mm -hmm. for his service. And the other is that I don't think he should be so hard on himself. Mm. I think John is good people. He's he's called in before, as I recall. Has he? Okay, good. All right. Well, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. I'm Alex Hoyer. Janet, uh, one of the things that uh, you you had talked about the fiduciary responsibility, not only in care, but there's also monetary uh, responsibilities there too. Are are there other state uh, laws that influence what a school board must do? Uh, yes, I cannot name them all from the top <laughs> of my head. I'll be truthful, but um, <laughs> maybe just the do... highlights. The highlights. Okay. Well, first of all, um, I, I think 
Uh, I, I'm just going to start with when um, school board elections are held. I'll, I'll do that one. Um, and school board elections are held at municipal elections simply because back during the progressive era, it got changed because they wanted to eliminate or do their best to eliminate political influence. Um, before that, school board members were all appointed um, and usually appointed by, you know, city officials or town officials. So that's, you know, and, and we're seeing now kind of a movement of asking about whether or not those should be moved to November. The other, um, obviously, is, uh, you know, there are some different regulations for St. Louis and for Kansas City. Um, Mm -hmm. um, as far as your school boards are concerned. And, um, you know, in St. Louis, the mayor, if there's an opening, if someone resigns, and we've seen this, um, the mayor then appoints. That is not the case in, uh, in other communities. Mm. In other communities, it's the school board themselves who then, you know, select someone who is there. Obviously, they are held to the same ethics as all elected um, officials. Uh, school board members cannot be recalled, however, um, and in fact, that surprises our, me. Well, it, our legislators can't be recalled either. Mm. Um, there are only a select. There's one select group, and I can't tell you the group right off the top of my head that can't be recalled. But in the state of Missouri, like the governor can't, uh, your senators, your representatives cannot be recalled. Mm. Uh, so uh, Linda had been on the line but wasn't able to stay on. Uh, I, yes. I think her, her question was something about uh, to what extent school boards have to do with setting the curriculum of, of the school. What's, what's the answer to that? Well, the answer to that is, is that, first of all, um, all school districts are uh, kind of given the guidance that they are to teach to the Missouri Learning Standards. And so the Missouri Learning Standards are just global statements of what a child should be able to do. So, for example, in third grade, um, one of the standards is that the child should be able to read a piece of nonfiction text and be able to tell you what the main idea is. How that is done is determined by the local district and they are the ones then that write their local curriculum. There should be systems and processes in the district for how that curriculum is developed. However, the curriculum does have to be approved, and this is by law, has to be approved by um, the Board of Education. Mm, okay. Uh, let's go back to the phones. We have Gloria calling us from St. Louis. Gloria, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really um, great to hear you all talking about school boards. Um, it's just like really an important part of our democracy. And um, one of the things that I just wanted to just um, highlight and say that um, I'm really excited that our school board in St. Louis Public Schools is now back to an elected board. Um, for a while, we had um, a board that was taken over by the state. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I wanted to see if you all could just address, like, what conditions, um, you know, need to be in place for something like that to happen again, and how can we really work hard to prevent that and make sure that we have elected officials by the people. I've uh, that's a great question Gloria. Uh, the, uh or yeah, uh, so Janet, we've uh, we have definitely heard a, a, about appointed uh, school boards and then a school board will uh, earn a provisional accreditation. So um, why would the state uh, take over a school board? 
Well, if you go back, um, you know, when the St. Louis uh, elected board lost its governance, it was done for a number of different reasons. And one of them was financial. The other was because of um, poor academics. Um, and the other was about, you know, some uh, leadership issues. Those have all changed. And um, I guess I, I feel very close to the St. Louis elected board because of, you know, I, five, six years ago when you were having community forums about what kind of governance you wanted back, um, I was the one who came and talked to the community about why an elected board would be the better choice. And then the state board asked if um, Missouri School Boards Association, and I was the one doing it, um, is that I did an additional 50 to 60 hours of training with the elected board members to be able to help them with that transition back. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and thank so, you for coming uh, to 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 do all that. That 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 was a lot of effort. Absolutely, but it you know I you know when Gloria is asking that particular question, one of the things that that we have learned, I believe, as a state is that state control is probably not the best approach for um, helping struggling school districts. That the best approach is to focus on the children and the academics and the teaching. Uh, so this is clearly a difficult time for school boards. I mentioned mm-hmm. at the top of the show that uh, that it elicits a lot of controversy, whether uh, we're talking about banning books or teaching sex education, installing gender-neutral bathrooms. Um, and even under the best circumstances, running a school isn't easy. But uh, we have a comment from Heather Fleming, uh, founder and director of the Missouri Equity Education Partnership and also a senior organizer at the African American Policy Forum and founder of In Purpose, In Purpose Educational Services. Uh, she says there are a number of school boards under attack right now. And as an example, she points to the Rockwood School District. A couple of very conservative candidates were elected to the board, and one of the things that they have done since their tenure be- began was was to connect to other um, conservative candidates and cancel three um, programs that were really successful um, to helping uh, African American students to succeed and to thrive. And so, that's one of the reasons why we're organizing in these districts because many of these candidates are running on anti-equity platforms and saying, you know, we want to get in there and just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, but the problem with that is that you research shows we have to teach the whole student, and we can't teach the whole student if there are subjects that we can't address that might be within that student's experience, that they might have questions about, that they may have friends who are experiencing something and they need to know more about it. So we just have a lot of uh, concerns around our school boards at this point. And Heather also talked about what seems like a real increase in raucous school board meetings, as well as conflicts between schools and parents. These uh, trends, she says, are the culmination of decades of advocacy from ultra-conservative movements. Uh, But it's also been affected by the pandemic, which left many parents looking to assert control over their kids' schools. Control over, you know, whether their children wear masks, control over um, whether all children wear masks. And so we see this movement where masks, um, book bans, um, sex education, 
the, the various equity programs, DEI work in general, all of it is under attack at this moment. Um, another aspect that people don't consider is that a lot of the money that these candidates are receiving come from billionaires who have funded specific organizations that they, they like to paint as grassroots, but which are not grassroots. And so like our organization, we are truly grassroots. We are volunteer based. Um, it is parents, former educators, um, just all kinds of people that are in the group saying, what can I do? How can I help? Our biggest concern is that in districts such as Rockwood, what they continue to find is that the more these issues and the more contentious these issues are, the higher, harder it is to retain quality staff members as well as to hire others, to even source to hire uh, teachers, administrators, et cetera. So there, we're going to be facing teacher shortages. And when we face teacher shortages, we definitely are going to end up seeing that um, impacting student achievement. That was Heather Fleming, founder and director of the Missouri Equity Education Partnership, uh, who spoke to our producer, Emily Woodbury. Janet, does Heather make a good case here? Um, yes, actually. And um, one of the things, too, is that when I look at what was and has been going on in Rockwood, and I have worked with that particular board as well, is that there was kind of a uh, systems problem. Um, they didn't have a good um, process for doing what is called program evaluation, which is what a board is supposed to do. And so I know that Dr. Kane and his staff and the board are working to make big changes with that because those particular programs that she mentions that were cut should have been a part of a larger program evaluation process. Um, and, you know, we have discussed that with, with the board. Mm. Um, so the other, you know, one of the other guiding principles that we always go back to about what boards are supposed to do is that they have to uh, monitor progress. And the key piece of monitoring progress, especially in a district as large as Rockwood, is to make sure that you have um, a systematic process for evaluating and looking at the effectiveness of your key programs. Mm -hmm. And that needs to happen. And, uh, you know, we have several districts in the state of Missouri who do that very well. Park Hill in Kansas City does it very well. Um, Raymore Peculiar does it very well. As And so I think if having that particular kind of process helps to mitigate these um, situations that she's discussing. Mm -hmm. The others, you know, there are, um, um, you know, we, we do. We have some culture wars going on, and those will come into our school board meetings. Well, but, well I wanted to ask about that. Like, you, you have some people running for, for school board, as, as Heather talked about, who um, are generally very ultra-conservative and are mm -hmm. sometimes uh, their values are antithetical to the very existence of public education. And sometimes these, these people are getting elected to school boards. How, how do you deal with people on a school board who want to dismantle public education? Well, you know, there are these polarities. And um, and so one of the things that we have come back to is to talk about 
what we call the moral imperative. You know, why are you here? You are here to make sure that these kids are taken care of. Each child, each child receives um, the education and support that he or she needs. And while you come at it from different viewpoints, you have to come back to center. Getting to that point is going to take some negotiation and some um, um, work mm-hmm. uh, in being able to work with each other. But you have to find what do you have in common? What's the thing that you hold on to um, in the center? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where, um, that's where you have to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane is on the uh, line from South City. Jane, go ahead. Boy, this is an excellent, excellent program. I never knew all this. <laughs> but anyway, when... Oh, my gosh. Gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you. What is your um, question, Jane? Yeah, my question is, how do I, as an older person with no children in school anymore, of course, I try to be very conscientious voting for school board members. And I live here in the city, and I know things have gotten better, and we have a new superintendent, which I'm looking forward to. Um, But how do I know that it's, I mean, we get maybe a couple of sentences. Right. Yeah, uh, Jane, we we have your question, and that's something else. I mean, I I live in Swansea, Illinois, in the Metro East, and and the Belleville News Democrat is, is right there, but cuts to newspapers, cuts to media coverage in general. It is tough to find out uh, what a school board is doing or to have information about ca- candidates. Uh, Janin, uh, Janet, to Jane's question, what what can people do to find out information? Well, first of all, um, you know, you uh, if there are forums within your community, it's important to go to those. Um, I know that you know the League of Women Voters just had a, a wonderful forum in my community last night. Most of them you can join by Zoom if you can't go in person. Those are oftentimes limited, however, because there's only certain questions. So the other thing is that as an individual, because you're a voter, I would reach out to those specific candidates, especially those that you feel um, where you need better clarification of what their viewpoints are and what their thinking is, um, mm-hmm. because that's obviously critical and important. Right. Uh, Jane, thank you for your question. And uh, Janet Tilly, thank you for being here today as well. Absolutely. Janet Tilley is the Senior Director of Research for the Missouri School Boards Association, and we've been talking about the role of school boards in this moment when particularly there seems to be so much controversy around them. Janet, thanks again. You're welcome. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks.
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.